Genre. Doctor's Companion presents Doctor Who The Long Way Around, the weekly podcast where we review and discuss every episode of Doctor Who, one doctor at a time. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. And I'm Nick Jimenez. And today on the show, we are discussing Terror of the Autons, the third Doctor's fifth story. Uh, This is one written by uh, the late, great Robert Holmes and uh, directed by an uncredited uh, directing role, Barry Letts, uh, who had to go uncredited because, uh, due to BBC rules, producers aren't allowed to direct stuff. Uh, I guess I don't know. Okay. It is the way of things. Yeah, just that like explains that because I was watching it and I was like, "Oh, who is this directed by?" And it didn't do the directed by credit at the very end, and I was like, mm-hmm. "What? What? Yeah." What? Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's why some sort of um, you know guild rules or something. I don't know. Like you're not allowed to uh, like give roles Love. to other people. I don't know. Like people in other guilds. I don't know. It's uh, it's weird. It's weird stuff. It's like how um at at certain like uh, live performance places, like certain theaters and things, uh, you are not allowed to touch the curtain pull. Because it has to be, it has to be done by a, um, a uh, you know, like a person who who works there and is part of like the stage guild mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. Like you, you can get it. You can get fined like a lot of money just for like touching the curtain thing. So it's, uh, I think it's just one of those weird things where it's like, no, 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 you don't get to direct because we're the directors <laughs> here, and uh, Barry Letts. Um, someone else was supposed to direct it, but Barry Letts like stepped in at the last minute because he wanted to direct it anyway and wasn't allowed to because he was a producer. But then the supposedly the director that they chose backed out at the last minute and he was like, I'll just do it and I'll go uncredited. And they were like, whatever. Um, <laughs> so that happened. But uh, yeah, so Terror of the Autons, uh, first episode of season eight. This being um, so, so Barry Letts was made producer of uh, Doctor Who in season seven, but season seven's story planning had already happened. Uh, so he had very little to do with the like overall direction of season seven. Um, I, I believe that was like mostly Terrence Dix, mostly. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause it was like a, it was just like a weird timing issue, but, uh, yeah. So when he came in on season eight, season seven was successful enough that he was able to get a larger budget for the show. Uh, and in order to use that larger budget to the best, um, the best way possible, he extended the amount of stories per season from four to five. 
And the reason for that was that he it was he was hoping that it would improve ratings even further and raise the budget even further because it would feature more first nights uh, in season eight, which basically meant like the first part of a story, which the first parts of any of any Doctor Who story tended to have higher ratings than any other part. Uh, so that was sort of like his plan to start kind of sneaking the budget up uh, and, and getting the ratings up on the show overall. Um, and he hated seven part serials because he thought they were too long. Uh, we yeah. also hate seven part serials here on uh, TDC. <laughs> uh, Only if they're bad. I don't like them. Period. Uh, oh, just really? in general. I, yeah. I just, I just, I always sigh a little. Yeah, there are good ones. There are good yeah. ones, but they could all be done in six episodes. All of them. There isn't a single one over six episodes that couldn't be done. In six episodes. Uh, like That's the only good. exception to that, I would say, is uh, the uh, War Games, maybe. Um, yeah. Maybe. That's not seven. That's like ten. <laughs> right. That's ten. And I, I, But I still think they could have probably done that in yeah. eight. Um, I mean, like a third of a third of Marco Polo is just Tagana yeah. being like, here's what I think of your water, you piece of crap. <laughs> right. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so uh, Let's agreed with us and wanted to get rid of um, seven part stories. So uh, so that's what he used the the uh, higher budget on. And um, the next thing that he did was that he altered the recording schedule. So last season uh, with the Silurians and Inferno, they started experimenting with a recording schedule where they would rather than record one episode every week. They would record two episodes every two weeks. Hmm. Uh, and what this did for the show was it sort of like gave them more um, bang for their buck, essentially, because they were able to uh, – they basically, they were able to keep the sets up for two episodes rather than putting them up and taking them down every single week. So – you they would only they would reduce the wear and the tear on the sets and so by the end of episode 6 on some of the older serials the sets would practically be falling apart because uh if they used them every time every every episode it was like it, they they went up and down a dozen times and they were just mm -hmm. getting destroyed um so yeah so they started doing this to uh reduce the wear and tear on the set so they'd only have to set it up three times in a six-part story instead of six times uh and then the uh the third thing they did was that they decided to get rid of liz shaw um the reason of which of course is that they uh, they felt that Liz Shaw was too intelligent and independent to play second fiddle to the Doctor, which, when you put it that way, uh, I mean they're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like a backhanded compliment, though. Like, yeah, you're, you're not dumb enough to be a companion. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so they got rid of uh, they got rid of Liz Shaw. Let's wanted to bring in um, a, a pair of companions that would be reminiscent of Jamie and Victoria, which was a uh, a companion uh, uh, companion pairing that he liked a lot. So he created uh, jo Josephine Grant and uh, Unit Captain Mike Yates, um, which would be the uh, male counterpart and. 
uh, his hope would what was that they would have a romantic involvement, the two of them. Mm. Um, How did that go? Uh, well, uh, <laughs> spoilers, I guess. <laughs> yeah, spoilers. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Why would I? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so. Um, I mean, not for nothing, but Mike Yates sucks. Let's just be. Let's not put too fine a point on it. Um, oh man, yeah. Mike Yates. Uh, Mike Benton Yates is sucks. way better. Yeah, yeah. No, Team Benton all the way, a hundred percent. Mike Yates blows. Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, those are supposed to be the two companions. Let me ask you something, Nick. Mm-hmm. Did you could you tell that Mike Yates was supposed to be a companion? No, like I, <laughs> I'm, I'm really, I really, I, I watched all of it this morning, and I really am struggling to remember the character of Mike Yates. Yeah, that's, uh huh, yep, that's like, the problem I, with Mike Yates. Like, I think I remember like Gooch more than Mike Yates. <laughs> Gooch. Um. Then the fourth thing that they decided was that um. They wanted season eight. Uh, Let's and Dix wanted season eight to feature some sort of gimmick to attract new viewers. Mm-hmm. So uh, since they considered the uh, exiled doctor trapped on on um, trapped on Earth as sort of a latter day Sherlock Holmes, they thought it would be appropriate to introduce an arch nemesis in the vein of uh, Professor Moriarty, and they basically hoped that. Uh, this new character would replace the Daleks as the f- forefront of uh, Doctor Who's Rogues Gallery, and uh, and so the Master was born. And uh, I I just think that it's it it is fascinating to me that they were like, yeah, we want to make a villain that's going to be more popular than the, than the Daleks, and then they did. Uh, <laughs> that's amazing like that's kind of amazing like usually when somebody uh is like calls a shot like that they end up being way off and it's yeah like to to someone for someone to it kind of goes against in in a little bit in kind of a sad way it kind of goes against everything you learn about creativity which is like don't chase after don't try to topple the popular thing Mm -hmm. like don't go after but yeah i mean it's it and they really did kind of they took the one problem with the Daleks, which is that they have no emotion other than like blind frothing hate. And they're like, <laughs> well, wait, let's create a character that's kind of like the cool, a cooled evil, like a more like cerebral evil. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and like his, yeah, his emotional intellectual equal, like Moriarty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so. And we're still comparing those characters to this day. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so yeah. So then when they, uh, created the master, um, let's had Roger Delgado in mind and, uh, reached out to the actor who, uh, being friends with John Pertwee agreed almost instantly because, you know, (laughs) I mean, like he doesn't want to hang out with his BFF for like, uh, like a half a year filming this crazy sci-fi show. Um, which by the way, silly things I have to do. But which, by the way, uh, Roger Delgado's full name is Roger Caesar Marius Bernard de Delgado Torres Castillo Roberto. Amazing. Nice. Awesome. <laughs> 
So so anyway, Roger Delgado, uh, he had um, left a bank job to work on stage and due to his appearance was instantly cast in almost anything that he auditioned for uh, and, and had already done like a bunch of uh, television roles and film roles. Uh, including a role in uh, the Bing Crosby, Bob Hope movie, The Road to Hong Kong. Uh, and, oh, uh, I love those. And uh, and a hammer horror film called The Mummy's Shroud. Mm. Um, bo- in both cases, I'm fairly certain he was uh, pretending great. to be – Yeah, pre- well, well, I'm sure he was great, but I, I'm pretty sure he was cast <laughs> to pretend to be a race that he was not. Um, mm-hmm. in both of those cases, uh, I've done it. <laughs> I'll <laughs> well, do it again. <laughs> uh, so then, yeah, it's an then that brings it. us to um, Katie Manning, who mm-hmm. uh, she auditioned along with fifty other actresses for uh, the role of Joe Grant. Um, when she showed up, she showed up late and had forgotten her glasses. <laughs> uh, which she so she couldn't read the script, uh, so she ended up just kind of hanging out with uh, with with Letts and and Dix, and uh, was just I guess just charmed them enough that she got the part without even reading for it. That's so funny. man. I hope then I hope the other actresses never heard that story. Yeah, I know, um, but I'm sure they did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah what what's interesting though about uh Katie Manning is that um Manning had actually she had a bunch of television credits to her name and she had just been offered a contract by MGM to come to Hollywood and and be like you know one of their contracted actresses in their stuff and she ended up turning it down and taking Doctor Who instead uh, because her father didn't want her to leave the country. Oh my hmm. god! Yeah, yeah. So she could have been like, you know, there's there's a world in which Katie Manning was a you know a big like actress in the seventies in American cinema, uh, and instead became the next Doctor Who companion, <laughs> which is really interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, and Pertwee uh, wasn't there for her audition, but. He had met her at a at a BBC uh, event months before and uh, had sort of like dog-eared her as a possible companion. And so when he heard that she was cast, he was like, perfect. Mm. Um, so he was he was totally on board. Uh, then um, Dix turned to Robert Holmes to do this story. And Robert Holmes was like, I don't, I don't want to do Autons again. And they're like, too bad. You're going to do Autons again. Uh, so he came up with like weird new ways to use the Autons um, in his original script called The Spray of Death. Uh, it mm-hmm. was – there were no Auton Autons in the story. Uh, it was just the nesting consciousness and they were controlling the little troll dolls and the, uh, the plastic daffodils. That was it. Those were the things that were taking over the <laughs> taking over yeah. England. Um were just those things and uh That's really 70s, Scott. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and then uh and then Terence Dix heavily rewrote the draft to bring in more of the autons and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh, lastly, I think the 
The only thing that I, the only other thing that I want to really mention, just because I was like, you know, this is uh, this is good. I like this. Um, <laughs> I you know, it's it's a bad situation, but I like what happened. So uh, apparently, one of the members of the crew was uh, the actress who played Liz Shaw. Um, her brother was on the crew of the of the show, mm-hmm. and he was kind of uh annoyed that his sister lost her job um and decided that rather than uh aim that uh anger um that frustration at uh, the people in charge who pay him his paycheck he decided to uh aim all of that anger and frustration at katie manning uh who he was basically a bully to throughout this entire story that's so um, sad. Yeah. And uh, to the point where uh, Katie thought she was going to get fired because, like, he would make fun of her and make fun of her acting and make fun of her choices as a as an actress and uh, make fun of her, like, you know, flubbing her lines or, like, tripping in a stunt or something. Um, and he would make fun of her constantly. And everyone else on the crew would sort of join in in that sort of, like, boys club way that – Happens when a bunch of working class guys get together. Um, and uh, basically what happened around um, part three, she uh, tripped and sprained her ankle. And uh, this guy uh, started making fun of her and making fun of her uh, spraining her ankle and everything. And uh, it's actually John Pertwee basically stepped up and told this guy off. Um <laughs> And was like, she's the companion now. Get over it or leave. Wow. Um, and uh, and the guy never said a word after that. Uh, though I don't think he worked for the production for much longer. Um, sure. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, it's a terrible situation. But it was cool of John Pertwee to step up and be like, hey, yeah, leave her alone. I, I assumed at one point he took like an old-timey boxing stance. Yes. <laughs> that would be amazing. Throws down a glove. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's like, like flushes the cape. <laughs> Sir. Uh, so yeah, that's um, that's uh, that's that's Terror of the Autons. Uh, it's a it's a it's a good one. It's a good one. There's just such a. Uh, I I keep thinking of the phrase synthesis when I watch these Pertwee episodes. Maybe it's it's a little bit because they're always shorter. Than the first Doctor and second Doctor stories, but it's also like seems to be when the show is finally like I don't want to not self aware in a cynical self referential way, but just kind of aware of its own strengths mm-hmm. and starting to like do it do cool stuff with it, like mm-hmm. the Master or like Joe Grant and 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 you know I don't know so yeah I I I always have lots of fun when we go back to this era of the show. Terror of the Autons, Part 1, written by Robert Holmes, directed and produced by Barry Letts, script edited by Terrence Dix, air date 2nd of January, 1971. A renegade Time Lord calling himself the Master materializes his TARDIS in the middle of a local circus. Using hypnosis, the Master enlists the circus manager Luigi Rossini to help steal a nesting energy unit from the National Space Museum. Meanwhile, Liz Shaw returns to Cambridge, leaving the doctor without an assistant, so the brigadier assigns unit trainee Joe Grant the job. 
but the doctor is unimpressed with her qualifications and requests that she be reassigned. With the nesting energy unit in hand, the master infiltrates a deep space radio telescope control tower and overpowers the two scientists inside. Using the radio telescope, the master connects with a nesting consciousness located in space and channels it into the stolen energy unit. Using the fully operational nesting energy unit, the master commissions Feral Autoplastics Factory to produce a new line of plastic products that he can control. Investigating the theft of the energy unit from the National Space Museum, the doctor is led to the Deep Space Radio Telescope Control Tower, where another Time Lord arrives to warn the doctor of the master's arrival on Earth, before vanishing. Putting together the clues, the doctor comes to the conclusion that the master must be working with the Nestines. The brigadier puts together a list of plastics factories, and they split up to investigate each one. Joe ends up at Feral Autoplastics, where she is hypnotized by the master and sent back to unit with a bomb in a box. Before the doctor can realize what's happening, Joe attempts to open the box and set off the explosive. So right off the top, we've got... um. We've got the Masters Winnebago TARDIS. Yes. Which is just spectacular. Uh, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great sight and it's a great opening shot of this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I do have questions about the Masters super strength. Um, <laughs> and I, 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 so I don't know what that's about. The guy throws a punch, the, the circus guy, the guy that runs the circus, uh, he like goes to punch the master who catches the punch and then like brings him down to his knees. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I don't – what is this? Like where is this coming from? Is it also because he's like staring at him with hypnosis eyes? I, I'd say that is a very good retcon. Like it's a, it's a good way to like <laughs> – it's a good way to make sense of this uh, in any sort of fashion, I would say, because I, I kind of right. thought the same thing. I was like, "Well, like some gallant post-production guy was like, I'm just I'm just going to add these. <laughs> <laughs> I, I you know, I um, I'll be honest, I wouldn't mind whenever we get the master again, uh, I wouldn't mind bringing back hypnotist master. Because uh, we got we got Master of Disguise back yeah. um, just recently. Uh, I I I would be I would be into another uh, hypnotist doctor. Um, I, there's there's something that I really it's so silly, but like I don't know in a fun way. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that they can science their way out of making sense of it. Um, you can science your way out of anything in Doctor Who. It's true. It's true. Uh yeah Except so that. so the introduction of of Joe Grant um is her tr- basically just trying to give the doctor her resume and him say, can just saying over and over again not today thank you <laughs> it's very devil wears Prada yeah it is he calls her a bum vendor which I'm not even yes sure, thank like, you so much for bringing that up what. <laughs> He, yeah, yeah, he calls, he calls her a bun, uh, no, he calls her a bun vendor. Oh, a bun a, vendor. Okay. Yeah, like a vendor of buns. It's very it is so quintessentially classist. Yeah. Him. To it is such a time lordian insult to call someone a a, a bun vendor. Like you're just a a a, a dirty market rat. Get away <laughs> from me. I'm a time lord. 
you are a bun vendor. Uh, <laughs> I I don't know. I I know that um, you know there there are definitely some cringy moments as far as like the way the doctor treats Joe in this story, uh, and and I think that that's largely a side effect of the time period that this was made. Uh, but the concept, the overall concept of him not willing to accept a companion that is being offered to him. Like they, he needs to like kind of see their value, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know. No, no, no. I, I'm not, I'm not opposed to that in theory. Um, in execution, it's not great here, but I do, I do like that. Like, you know, this story is like Joe Grant basically proving herself to the doctor and the audience why she should be a companion. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of into that. I like mm -hmm. that. So um, we have a guy, we have the guy, uh, the scientist up in the tower who's like eating lunch. And uh, I was just like, man, last meal is a hard boiled egg. What a I way know. to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never know. <laughs> you never know. Never eat a hard boiled egg, I guess. Well, just, you know, eat, eat, eat well when you can. I don't know. <laughs> Eat, eat good stuff. Especially if you are like a guard or any kind of scientist. Out, out <laughs> Working in a place where you're alone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was, I was bummed out and you could tell he had eaten, he had taken a bite out of many hard boiled eggs at that point because <laughs> he, he was like, he barely nibbled on that hard boiled egg. Cause you could tell he was just like, I am so sick of this. That's funny. Yeah. Um, all right. So we have to talk about my favorite part of this whole story, uh, which is uh, saying something because there's a lot of great stuff in here. But I don't think anything tops uh, Tardis Man and the bowl, the bowler <laughs> cap and cane. Oh, my God. What the heck? I <laughs> that was weirder than anything in any of the reconstructions that we've seen this. Season. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even – I had to look up on the wiki what they were trying to do, like what the effect was supposed to be. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, no. Uh, Tardis, Tardis Man. I, You know, I'm a big fan of uh, Time Lords dressing up as uh, regular people, like incognito. Yeah, um, it, it, was, it was very Rowling-esque. It was, yeah. And they're better at it than the Doctor. <laughs> Which, yeah. He calls the doctor out on. He's just like, well, I don't know what you're wearing. This is... <laughs> my only, my only real regret is I, I really wish they had named him because there are so precious few named time lords. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Either way, the concept of this time lord guy in the bowler cap and cane, um, the Riddler time lord, uh, I, <laughs> I, I really want that that character to come back somehow um yeah i wish he was named so we could be more specific about like who they're bringing back but my god uh what a what a missed opportunity for this guy not to show up in every story ever made um, <laughs> mm -hmm. hello old friend and he does the exact same like the effect still looks the same oh my god the effect i mean i don't i don't even know how to really describe what happens but the doctor is on this tower 
uh, where where the master gets the hard boiled egg scientist guy. Um, he's in the tower, like about to go check out the crime scene, and uh, he's on the balcony outside of the room that where where it happened. And uh, he just like looks off into the distance when he hears a TARDIS, and then a man in a bowler cap and a cane <laughs> appears in midair. About With like, like a pop noise, it's really yeah, funny. <laughs> like like a hundred yards away in the middle of the air, and he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'm far away, aren't I?" And then he <laughs> just sort of zooms in closer, and then you just cut back to. Pertwee and this guy is standing directly in front of him, like <laughs> three inches from his face. It's uh, like it Mary is. Poppins with her umbrella, but without the umbrella. Like he yeah. just kind of like zooms and walks. <laughs> so. I love business meeting master. We get a lot of that this season. Uh, the master in business meetings. Um, mm. in like In like a suit and just like hanging out with some guy. And I also love that, like, okay, so he comes into this plastic factory and he's like, I've got something to talk to you about. And he's like, uh, okay, well, what do you got to talk to me about? And then we cut away to the doctor, uh, like, experimenting with with a thing. Uh, and he's got, like, um, those amazing metallic silver gloves and apron with mm-hmm. his, with his, with his, like, froofy, froofy shirt and everything. It's just the most amazing combination of things. <laughs> Um, I've ever seen. But then we cut to that, and then when we cut back to the master and his business meeting, he's just looming over the guy he was having a business meeting with, and he's just like, "And, and you will obey me." And the guy's like, "I will obey you." I was like, "Wow, this meeting went south quickly, um, <laughs> or north, depending on, I guess, your position." I guess that's true. Fair, fair enough. Um, yeah, uh, and then. Uh, uh, I guess the other thing happened is this. This is the episode where Liz gets uh, hypnotized, right? She's or like yes. Joe. Yeah, you're Joe. I'm sorry. Yes, Joe. Joe. Joe Shaw, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, where? Yeah, so Joe. Joe is like oh, at the plastics factory, and the master finds her and is like, you know, who are you? And then hypnotizes her and sends her back to the doctor with a bomb in a box, and that's uh, <laughs> that's her cliffhanger. Um, it's great. It's yeah. not even the best cliffhanger in this series. No, well. no. I I love that the doctor finds out that the master is in town from Bowler Bowler Cap Man, Time Lord Bowler Man. Cap Man. That's his name. Yeah, Cannon. Bo- <laughs> Bowler Cap Man. Um, <laughs> Bowler Cap Man. Uh, and the master finds out that the doctor is in town from Joe. And I just – I love for like three episodes, they don't interact with each other. They just mm-hmm. know that the other person is in town. And there's just something so perfectly – like that – That I just feel like that just sums up the Doctor and the Master's relationship mm-hmm. just in general. No, it's it, it's very like when you know – when you know a friend's in town and it's like, no, they can call me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They know I'm in town. They can call me. They want to hang out. (laughs) God, I love it so much. Terror of the Autons, Part 2. Written by Robert Holmes. Directed and produced by Barry Letts. Script edited by Terrence Dix. Air date, 9th of January, 1971.
Moments before the box explodes, the doctor manages to throw it through a nearby window and into the river. The doctor frees Joe from the master's hypnosis, but she cannot remember at which factory she met him due to amnesia induced by the master's post-hypnotic suggestion. Meanwhile, the feral autoplastics production manager, James McDermott, confronts the master about their new product line. To demonstrate how the new products work, the master shows McDermott a self-inflating plastic chair that comes alive and smothers him. Upset over McDermott's sudden death, the retired owner of feral autoplastics confronts his son about the changes being made to the factory. When the master fails to hypnotize him, he leaves a prototype troll doll with Mr. Farrell to think it over. Once home, the troll doll comes to life and murders Mr. Farrell by lunging at his neck with its fangs. Meanwhile, the doctor's investigation leads him to Rossini's circus, where he is captured by Rossini and a strong man named Tony, tying him to a chair in a nearby trailer. Luckily, in an attempt to prove that she isn't as useless as the doctor believes, Joe had hidden herself in the back of Bessie, the doctor's vintage car. Joe sneaks into the trailer and breaks a vase over Tony's head and rescues the doctor. The pair find the master's TARDIS and the doctor steals its dematerialization circuit before they are swarmed by Rossini and an angry mob of circus clowns. Luckily for them, a police car arrives to rescue them. Unlucky for them, the car is being driven by two autons. The bomb goes off, but it's it's tied up in a box, so it saves everybody, I guess. Except the all of like, the fish that are in the river that just instantaneously die because the bomb goes off in the river. <laughs> yeah, but all the people are fine. <laughs> just It was a fish bomb. Um, Some days you can't get rid of a bomb. Yeah. Then, okay, so this, this episode uh, is... This is basically like plastic factory politics, the episode. Mm. Um, right. Which I just, I love. I love it. But uh, we have this other, this guy who comes in and he's just like, judging the young guy that runs the plastics factory, he's just like, you know, why are you changing everything? Your dad's not going to like this. And he's like, I don't care what my dad says. And the master's like, I'll just show you what we're working on. Look at this. This just this crappy mound of black plastic. And he's like, that doesn't look like anything like our product. And he's like, oh, but what if I do this? And then he turns it into an inflatable chair, <laughs> tells the guy to sit in it, and then the chair strangles him. Like eats him. Like <laughs> Yeah, it like eats it absorbs him. him. Yeah. Well, I mean. Which is so funny be- because it's just obviously the actor – just like sulking down into the inflatable chair, and, <laughs> and then like whole, wiggling, <laughs> and wiggling, and then bringing the top of the, the of the chair, like the back seat of the chair, down on top of him. Like you literally see him reaching for it and grabbing it and pulling it down <laughs> over himself. You know, for some reason, it, I really found myself thinking this time during this story. God, the things this show has made adult British men do. <laughs> Like, yeah, like that guy had to like pretend to get killed by a chair. <laughs> yeah, he did. An inflatable chair. Oh man! And then so then after that guy disappears, uh, because he was eaten by the plastic chair, <laughs> the 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 plastic the plastic factory guy's dad shows up, and he's like, "What do you think you're doing?" I'm going to come out of retirement and and run this factory again and run you out of a job and I'm just I'm just like oh man this guy what a hard ass this yeah guy. um man I would I would 
that would suck. And then he he like the master tries to hypnotize him, but it doesn't work. And then he storms off. And then the master's like, "You better take care of this." And then he storms off. And you just you just cut to the guy. And he, he just – his eye twitches and it just looks like he's just like, I have too many dads. I just have <laughs> too many dads right now. Who do I, who do I make happy? Yeah. I don't – I oh my God. too many dads. <laughs> one of them got eaten by a chair. The other one is hypnotizing me and the other one's my actual dad. There's too many dads. It's um, <laughs> so funny. I just felt so bad for him. Um, and then we get, uh, we get the community troll, which is, um, yes, the product that the master wants to make at this factory. It's a little, not a little troll doll. It's a, it's a very, I mean, it's, it's, what, what is that? A foot, foot and a half? Yeah. Tall? It's like big garden gnome size. Yeah. 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 Despite the fact that when it like attacks someone later, it like, it varies greatly in size yes. depending on the... <laughs> The, the shot we're looking at. Um, it's so creepy. But, oh, it's so creepy. It looks like the troll from Community, only not with it, – it's not wearing any clothes. Only worse. Like It's worse, yeah. It's got like these stupid beady eyes and like the freaking fa- – oh my god, I hate it. I the, hate dolls like, normally, but like, oh my god. It's got the creepy facial hair. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this, this, this episode has one of my favorite shots, which is of, uh, that, that snap zoom into stowaway Joe in the back of the Yes. <laughs> she just pops up in the back seat and they just do a snap zoom. Oh, it's the best. <laughs> she like narrows her eyes. It's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so yeah. good. It's very like Beastie Boys sabotage video. <laughs> yes. And there's a couple of those cause they do the same thing with the window later when she's like looking through the window. <laughs> Um. Oh man, that's so good. We get introduced to a strong man in this episode in like a like a Tarzan costume. Um, who uh, kidnaps the doctor at the circus? Mm-hmm. That's just, he's at the circus. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Yeah, <laughs> he's at the circus. Would you believe, Nick? That not mm-hmm. only is this not even the best use of a circus on Doctor <laughs> Who. <laughs> I can believe but, that. But this isn't even the best use of a circus in John Pertwee era Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I, that makes sense, I guess. Like with the if, Of the doctors I've met, and I guess now I have met all of them, uh, he really does seem like the most circus friendly. <laughs> yeah. I guess maybe like 11 – yeah, but oh man, there's a there's a circus episode that you are just going to lose your mind about. Um, oh, I'm excited. Yeah, uh, that's that is coming up. The non Pertwee circus episode. Oh boy. Oh. I don't want to spoil which doctor it is, but it yeah. is. Yeah. Yep. It is. It is something else. Um, let me ask you something, Nick. Do you like the rap music? Oh man. <laughs> you know I do. Oh, well, you are in for a treat, my friend. Oh my you are God. in for a treat. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so uh, let's see. What else do I got? Yeah, Joe in the window, which reminds me of like Knives Chow in the window. <laughs> <laughs> it is the it is the first um, really companion-y thing that she does. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. It's like Donna I... looking into the window in her yes. first or second episode, I guess. 
but oh, I love it so much. I just her first like, proper episode. Yeah, I think if I if I think if I were to if I had to like go through each companion and sum up each companion with one image, I think either Joe poking out of the back of Bessie <laughs> or Joe looking through the window while the doctor is tied to a chair in the foreground. I think one of those would be my choice. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Donna would for sure be that. I think it would be that gif of them both reacting to each other. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I don't care about Amy right now. Um, <laughs> right now. Well, I mean, like, I, don't, I, I, I just didn't want to. I, like, I don't want to go through her. Um, <laughs> um, we could do that all day. We could. I, yeah. I remember thinking, well, God, we could do forty minutes just talking about the font that leak, which I'm sure we'll do well, at the end. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah um, but, oh, man, so, uh, so yeah, the doctor when when Joe Joe breaks him out by um, she takes out the strong man, which is, I mean, impressive, but impressive for her, but like really not impressive at all on the part of the strong man. Yeah. Uh, like it did the thing that she breaks over his head doesn't even look particularly heavy. Like it just I don't know. Um mm. but he he goes down like a chump really quickly. Uh yes. and but there is that great part where uh where the doctor's just like, you know, I have half a mind to call for help. Yes. Help. And then he it's like help. the most unconvincing <laughs> cries for help. <laughs> Yeah, he is never less believable than when he has to be like vulnerable. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, the third doctor doesn't work uh, as vulnerable. Um, <laughs> n- not so much. Uh, he also gets okay. So the guy who runs the circus. All right, let me back up. All right, so <laughs> so so the doctor steals the the um, the. Uh, the 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 TARDIS circuit. What which circuit is it? Not I, the, I keep wanting to say chameleon circuit, it's but the not de- that one. The dematerialization circuit. Right, 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 right. Dematerialization circuit. Which, by the way, is that the circuit that Missy and the Master have in? Oh, the, if it is, that's so good. I'm pretty sure it was that circuit, uh, which would make sense why they like I you know I I always said like don't ever go without it or whatever. It's like oh yeah because. You might need a spare because the doctor likes to steal those. Um, that's pretty great. Uh, so anyway, they steal the dematerialization circuit out of the out of the master's TARDIS, which I love. The doctor just strolls inside the Winnebago and strolls back out with the with the circuit, and then immediately gets attacked by the guy who runs the circus and a gang of clowns. Oh, it's so horrifying! Oh my god! Oh my god! Just a gang of clowns surround the doctor and with Joe. like sticks, like they're just with sticks. <laughs> And then, well, but then, but then he's got a sledgehammer. I know, and he just he just whacks him with this mallet in the yeah. face. I'm I'm honestly shocked that the third doctor didn't just regenerate immediately. <laughs> oh, that would have been great. <laughs> oh man, just takes a just takes a mallet to the head. Oh my god, so crazy. What a, what a, that would have been a really appropriate death for him, though. <laughs> Just killed at the circus. There's, there, there is no. There is something just very blue collar about getting just hit hit in the head with a hammer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Ah, um, 
How does this? Uh, how did? How, how did this one end? Uh, with episode? the creepy um, Auton face. He peels off the the police oh, officer's right. face. Yeah. yeah, the Auton officer. That's right. Yeah, they go in the back warmer. of the. They go back to the cop car, and then the person driving is an Auton. Terror of the Autons, Part Three, written by Robert Holmes, directed and produced by Barry Letts, script edited by Terrence Dix. Air date: sixteenth of January, nineteen seventy-one. The Doctor struggles with the two Autons, causing the car to crash and allowing Joe and the Doctor to escape. Back at his lab, the Doctor attempts to use the Master's dematerialization circuit in his TARDIS, but discovers they are incompatible. The only upside to this is that, as long as the Doctor has his circuit, the Master will be trapped on Earth as well. Meanwhile, the factory begins producing realistic plastic daffodils, and the Master orders a group of disguised Autons to hand out thousands of the flowers to the general public. While the Doctor is investigating Mr. Farrell's mysterious death, the Master visits the Doctor's lab in disguise and replaces his telephone. The Doctor and the Brigadier's investigation leads them to Feral Autoplastics, where they discover the plastic daffodils and narrowly escape an Auton hidden in an office vault. Having brought the plastic troll doll back to the lab for examination, Joe and Captain Yates accidentally bring it to life. The doll attacks Joe, but Yates shoots it to pieces. When the doctor returns, he receives a phone call from the master who says goodbye before activating a signal device. The phone cord comes alive and wraps itself around the doctor's throat, choking the life out of him as his eyes widen in disbelief. Which leads us to part three. And uh, my my one of my favorite things moments in this episode was when uh, the Autons are trying to get out of the front front of the car. <laughs> they crash the car and then they're just like wackily trying to get out, open the car door and get out. And it just reminded me of uh, Do you guys remember in the eighties and early nineties the incredible crash test dummies? Oh. Yeah, those commercials. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the commercials, and then there was like at first you were talking about the band and editorial editorializing. No, 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 no. And then, and then the the uh, and then the uh, uh, like there was like a cartoon, and there were like dolls, um, where like their 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 like limbs would velcro on. I don't know. That's weird. uh, Incredible crash test dummies, but that's what that's what that reminded me of <laughs> when they were like trying to get out of the car. It reminded me of the crash test dummies. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked up cra- the crash test dummies, and uh, there is a, a surprising amount of mythology involved in the incredible crash test dummies. Oh my god! Uh, there are, there are multiple generations uh, in the way that there are multiple generations of transformers. Um, <laughs> There is the the Vince and Larry, uh, the the Vince and Larry era. There is the Slick and Spin era. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. There's the Protex like era. Also, What's like that? Transformers. Are there like different different sides, different tribes? Uh, well, no. Well, yeah, because there's dummy characters that they they introduce different uh different tribes or whatever in uh, the third generation. Because there's the there's the Protex suit dummy characters, and then there's the Junkbot characters. What the hell? Oh wow! Yeah, who are like the bad guys, I guess. Uh, and then, uh, and then there was um Crash Crash Test Dummy Racing was gen- Generation Four. Um. But uh, yeah, that was that was a thing. If you guys uh, <laughs> you guys don't remember the ni- the eighties and nineties, I would look this up because this was 
this has got to be like the weirdest thing. This is up there with like the Geico cavemen, which was just like a weird phenomenon where they were oh like, let's make shows and stuff. Yeah. What yeah. the hell? Yeah, yeah. Like this was literally just like a, a public service advertising campaign about wearing seatbelts. That's all it was in the 80s. And then they turned it into a cartoon series and video games and Mattel action figures and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Crazy. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's what wow. that that's what the Autons trying to get out of the car reminded me of. Only in America. Only in America. <laughs> so uh, I also I, I wrote this note, which is um, the Brigadier's pronunciation of Auton, which was Autons, <laughs> which is just the most British thing. Like we, Doctor, we have to stop the Autons. <laughs> <laughs> The Ottens. The Ottens. Ottens. His mustache is back. Thank goodness. Yeah, His mustache is. is back. <laughs> yeah. He grew up they back were during so the- so salty uh, to each other in this one. Yeah, they, they were. were. Yeah, they were. They were pretty salty. Um, yeah, apparently, uh, apparently, uh, 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 what, what is the, Nicholas Courtney, um, he was- not having the best of time uh, in this during the story, uh, I guess he he fell into like a bout of depression, which is why he's not in this story a lot. Um, oh, yeah. that's too bad. Yeah, uh, but uh, they like cut back his his role, and then he he came back in uh, here and there. But um, yeah, he wasn't uh, he wasn't doing great. Poor guy. Um, so. This episode also features uh, the sort of iconic Doctor Who line, what's wrong with being childish? I like being childish, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, – which, you know, makes sense being a Robert Holmes story. Um, Robert Holmes, man. He gets this character I think more mm-hmm. than just about any other writer to be honest. I always think uh, of that as a Tom Baker line, but I think Tom Baker's line is slightly different. And it might also mm-hmm. be written by Harbor Holmes, so <laughs> it's entirely possible. Um, uh, th- there's also this bit where uh, where is it is it the brigadier who sees the plastic daffodil and says, "That's the finest plastic flower I've ever seen." <laughs> I think it's Yates. Oh, is it Yates? Okay, I don't remember. That makes it even worse. That makes it even worse. Um, He's like a connoisseur of. Plastic flowers. Plastic flowers, yeah. Like, he just, he gives all of his girlfriends plastic flowers because they'll last forever. He's one of those guys. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's a red flag right there. (laughs) Yeah. Sure is. This flower will never die, just like our love. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yates, no. (laughs) Uh, and they wonder why there was no ra- romance between him and Joe. <laughs> um, oh, boy. <laughs> he shows up uh, on their first date with plastic flowers and she's like, nope, see you at work. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> I also really like this scene where the doctor's defending the brigadier. Uh, where that, that dude comes in and he's just like telling everybody he's throwing his weight around and – uh, the brigadier is like, I, I can't do that. We're kind of focused on this other thing. And he's like, I don't care what you're focused on. Me, me, me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and the doctor basically just steps in. is like, now listen here. This man works hard. He works so hard. Why don't you? 
No, don't do it. Like show that. him respect and the brigadier is just like, gosh, I never knew you cared. <laughs> Shut up. Um, yeah. It's a good it's good. I like it. Yeah. Uh, I I like it. I don't love all the fat shaming that's happening, but it does seem on, on <laughs> it does seem pretty on brand for the third doctor. To yes, be doing again, that. just quintessentially just kind of up his own butt. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh he just keeps calling him and the guy's boss Tubby. Uh mm-hmm. which is not the best. Um the doctor <laughs> I mean, the doctor and Joe interviewing that widow is hilarious just because like she is in no way a widow like she's just not really even acting particularly sad and she just keeps remembering details in such a nonchalant way i know that is it's just like your husband just died uh like five five minutes ago uh man be sadder my god (laughs) um if i was if i was if I was police working this case, I would be convinced that uh, she murdered her husband. She's some sort of black widow uh, <laughs> based on how not sad she is that her husband died. She's got like a fur coat in the closet. She just, <laughs> yeah. her, her and that troll just fell in love. Ew. And, uh, that's why we never see the troll ever again. No, the troll tries to attack Joe and then Yates is just like... Oh, I'm oh, going to yeah, shoot it. That's right. Because it's really creepy. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, because I forgot that they do like that. They did, The doctor tries to do an autopsy and it's just like a solid piece of metal or solid piece of plastic. And he's like, I can't do anything with this. <laughs> Which is just the biggest waste of a scene I've ever seen. It's so dramatic, too, because like the camera is like facing him from like the the point of view of the table or something and he's just like scalpel forceps i'm like what it's like doll surgery yeah (laughs) it's great uh and then there's uh, this has like a this has like a cliffhanger fake out in this episode oh it's my favorite i it's like vintage pertwee cliffhanger face like well i know but but the but the fake out the fake out part is is the cliffhanger fake out is uh when the the doctor and uh the doctor and the brigadier are like going through that office and the doctor's trying to break into the vault and oh, he yes, gets into yes, the vault and yes. then he opens the vault and there's an auton in there <laughs> and he just immediately he's like auton and then the <laughs> brigadier get like gets shot at but he ducks and then he closes the vault door and he's like man those autons are everywhere am i right brigadier <laughs> Are you all right, best friend? <laughs> oh, I love that. But yeah, uh, tell tell people about the the quintessential. Oh my uh, god! Okay, have. so previously, this shady telephone guy in the episode is replacing the doctor's phone, like his landline, and it's got a really long cord. Um, and so the phone rings. He's alone in his lab. He picks it up. It's the master, and he's just like, "Oh, I just called to say goodbye," and then. <laughs> He turns on this, like, I guess it's... He's such a drama. <laughs> this sonic thing. And then we cut to Pertwee, like, getting lassoed by the telephone cord and, like, making, like, a choking face. But it's... It is, like, transcendent. It's so yes. silly. It's, it's oh just so... It, it 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 reminded me of something Loki would do to Thor. <laughs> <laughs> 
Just Goodbye, like, brother. <laughs> hey, enjoy your phone, dick. And then just like, oh, no, cords. Yeah. The the plastic phone comes to life and just like wraps itself around it like a snake. Oh, my God. It's, it's so funny. Terror of the Autons, part four. Written by Robert Holmes. Directed and produced by Barry Letts. Script edited by Terrence Dix. Air date, 23rd of January, 1971. The brigadier pulls the phone cable from the wall, cutting the signal and saving the doctor. Realizing that the master may be using a similar signal on the plastic daffodils, the doctor examines one only for it to come to life and spray a plastic film over Joe's nose and mouth. The doctor barely manages to remove the film before Joe suffocates. He realizes that the master plans to use the radio telescope to send out a signal that will activate the daffodils and murder thousands of people at once, allowing the Nestines to invade the planet. Upon discovering the plan, the Brigadier orders an airstrike on the location of the Autons, but the Master arrives and kidnaps the Doctor and Joe to get the airstrike cancelled. Taking them to the radio telescope control room, the Doctor convinces the Master that once the Nestine arrive, he will be expendable, and they join forces to reverse the radio signal. The Auton invasion is thwarted, but the Master manages to escape using a clever ruse. The Doctor points out, however, that the Master will return now that he is stranded on Earth and he admits that he's looking forward to their next meeting. Part four, uh, they they get out of that. Um, the, the brigadier saves the doctor and makes a joke, and the, the doctor is not having humor. <laughs> oh, today. man, I didn't write it down, but it was a great, it was a great one-liner. He was like, uh, oh, talk about a bad connection, or it was something. Yeah, like, you know, he, said, he says, looks like I cut your connection. I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> the brigadier the best um and then uh uh there there's this really honestly um a pretty pretty good effect i mean largely it's not great in the close up like when he's prying it off her face but like uh joe comes in and she gets like this plastic film thrown at her face and it comes alive and tries to suffocate her um by covering her mouth and her nose and it's uh I think it's a pretty good effect until like the the doctor goes over to like pry it off her face and then it's like oh well that's obviously just like a molded thing yeah <laughs> yanking Again, off it, it was mostly just on her to sell it much like right the chairman yeah right <laughs> totally but she I mean she sells it up until when the doctor's prying it off her face um, that's pretty good I uh, there's um. There's this moment too where uh, you know things are coming together and uh, the master I, is it like a sci- is it a unit soldier or a scientist or something that he sees on the on the tower and he like gets in its gets in their way and it's just like a series of close ups and then you just cut to a wide shot of the tower and the guy just goes flying off of it because he just like flips him off the tower. I think it's um, a scientist. You don't, it's a scientist, yeah. You don't see what he does. You just see like this, uh, these like quick cut close ups of him being like, and then you just see him <laughs> get flipped off the tower, and it's uh, pretty magnificent. Um, and uh, this this episode features one of my favorite master tropes, which is uh, the Doctor and the Master uh, working together and mm-hmm. showing us. Showing us how much they would be able to get done if they just get past their differences and work together. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Take a look, America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we get one of uh, one of many 
uh, times in which John Pertwee reverses the polarity of something. Yes. To save mm-hmm. the day. Before saying, or after saying, we got to reverse the polarity. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't any of you ever just reverse the polarity? Yeah. He's just like, he's like, what do we do? And he, and he just looks at the master and says, change the polarity. And the master's like, yes, that's brilliant. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. And then they wow. spin dials on like a fake, <coughs> like, Bored. Um, it's really funny. They yeah, could do that together forever. <laughs> they could. They should start a band. I'll be honest. Um, you know them being back to back at different monitor things, <laughs> dialing stuff. It reminds me of like when Daffy Duck and Donald Duck are playing dueling pianos and Roger. <laughs> oh yeah. Um. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. The doctor is Daffy Duck. Hmm. The masters. No, no, no. no. That, the doctor would be Donald. Yeah. The doctor would be Donald. Yeah. But, uh, and that's how they're set Daffy up too, was, I believe. Daffy was funnier but meaner. Yes. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, Donald wasn't much of a jokester. Stuff happened mm-hmm. to him. Donald, at, Donald. At his would... heart, I think he was a decent man. <laughs> <laughs> Don- Donald certainly had more of a propensity for cliffhanger face the way that Pert Louis does. Yes, he was a big reactor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah, so then, uh, you know, we sort of like wrap things up and uh, we get this bit where the master is like walking toward them, uh, surrendering himself, and then he pulls out a gun and then they, Yates, uh, like shoots him like 17 times. Um and he goes down and then they're like, well, that's the end of him. And then the doctor pulls off the master mask and it's uh, it's the, the plastic factory manager guy. Um, so he's dead. That really sucks. Really, his 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 arc in this story is just really tragic. His poor mom. Like- I know. <laughs> Lost her husband and her son. But it's fine. She's living happily ever after with the troll. Um <laughs> totally fine it's not a big deal she's very happy now. oh my god uh, that thing is so but, creepy uh, but yeah she he he's dead uh they 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 killed him that was um what was that in mike that, mike, mike kills him yeah uh what what was that in what was that that was uh that that idea of like oh they're wearing the mask of the i think that was like in an episode of arrow at some point <laughs> um, yeah that sounds like their brand of yeah, storytelling. Uh, yes, yes. It was last season in Arrow. The bad guy dressed up an innocent man as himself, and then uh, Green Arrow killed him, and then realized that it wasn't the guy; mm. it was a hostage. Sounds like a Joker like, oh, thing, too. Oh no, um, Oliver! And there was and there was a lot of brooding because uh, that's like the show's like ninety percent brood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, it reminded me of that. And, uh, People, and then the master, uh, the master was using this, this guy in a master mask as a, as a distraction so he could drive away in his plastic bus. Uh, he almost that like says a- literally, the literally on the side of the bus, it just says plastic is coming to town. I know. It's the most like <laughs> vaguely like- threatening thing. <laughs> yeah. It just, I kind of wanted to hear like the electric mayhem playing him off as he drove. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, I want to make that now. Wow. 
Yeah. And then he's he's driving off into the distance, and then Sweetums is like, wait for me! <laughs> wait for me! Starts <laughs> chasing after the bus. Oh, my God. All I want is a season of Doctor Who. Not an episode. A season of Doctor Who with Muppet characters. Um, sure. He's just in oh. a universe of Muppets. Oh, my God. Muppet Doctor Who? Oh, my God. I would watch a whole season of that. Oh, that's so good. Oh, man. Get on it, Jim Henson Company. Yeah. What else are you guys done? That sitcom was over, even though I, I actually like that more than most people. Yeah, well, yeah, apparently they're they're doing another Muppet show, another kind of Muppet show for that Disney uh, streaming service. They just oh, announced okay. that today. Yeah, um, not to Gotta date keep, this, uh, not to date this podcast, but I just keep did that copyright. Yeah, uh, and then uh, yeah, basically the master gets away scot free. They can't find him, uh, and they're like, "Well, I, you know, what are we going to do now?" And the doctor says. That he's not worried, and instead he's rather looking forward to it, uh, which is which is a rewrite um, because he didn't like the original line in the script, which was that uh, was uh, the master will stay on Earth until I destroy him or until he destroys me. Yikes! And he was like, "Yeah, that's a little dark. Yeah, uh, let's let's lighten that up." Uh, he's really my best friend. <laughs> yeah super dark uh originally but uh yeah and this is uh this is this is just loaded to the gills with fun goofy stuff mm-hmm. i love this story it is it's just it's just a good time yeah 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 it's really good um i do have uh before we move on to uh another bit um i do have i do have a little a little something so i i I uh, ran myself down a rabbit hole today, <laughs> discovering something. Um, so I have something to share, uh, which is, did you know that there are, much in the way of uh, Doctor Who and the Daleks and uh, uh, the, the, the sequel to that film, uh, there is a trilogy of Auton films made in the 90s. Oh my God, shut up, for real? Yeah. Auton, Auton 2 Sentinel, and Auton 3 Awakening. <laughs> Those sound horrible. Uh-huh. <sighs> they are direct-to-video. Of uh, course. That was a given. Yeah. Made by uh, a company called Bill and Ben Video, which are essentially like – they're like the British equivalent of like um, Roger Corman. Um, and mm-hmm. they are well known for making films based on Doctor Who villains, Doctor Who baddies, uh, and also uh, making films that aren't about Doctor Who but star Doctor Who actors. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's all That's all they make. Um, they just that's, – that's it. So they have like – they have, uh, uh, you know, films that have like Sylvester McCoy in them and Sophie Aldred and uh, Colin Baker and Peter Davison and et cetera, et cetera. That's amazing. They have one John, of the macro. What's that? I would watch one about the macro. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Um, so, yeah, they made – but they made this Auton trilogy. Uh, now, here's the thing that really blew me away. Uh, all three Auton films – are written by and the first two are directed by none other than Nicholas Briggs. Oh, shut up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, though by the third one, he took his name off of it. And it's Aww. it says the third one was written by Nicholas Briggs as Arthur Wallace. <laughs> so he had taken his name off by the third one. And guys, let me tell you something about these because uh, I'm, I want to give you – I just want to give you a, just a quick taste of what these movies are about because um, they sound absolutely insane. Uh, so first of all, the first one, Aton. Uh, released in 1997, so a year after the Doctor Who TV movie happened. Oh, my God. Uh, at a top-secret unit facility known as The Warehouse, <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Sally Arnold has been studying a nesting energy unit with no results. As a last result, she subjects the artifact to cosmic signals from the unit's most powerful deep space scanning satellite – which causes a violent energy release that kills her assistant Janice and the energy unit disappears. Meanwhile, a containment team led by, are you ready for this guys? Okay. Led yeah. by a psychic unit operative named Lockwood. Um, I love him already. <laughs> yes. Uh, has been dispatched <laughs> among Lockwood's abilities is the ability to access all information from any computer mainframe in the world with his mind. What? Whoa. <laughs> um, so uh, <laughs> they, soon, they soon learn that the nesting energy unit has taken on a mobile form and there's an Auton copy of senior archivist Grant Winslet. The real Winslet is still alive, his mind being used by the Autons as a resource for information. The energy unit then merges with the Auton Winslet uh, several dormant autons in the warehouse come back to life and uh, the building becomes a battlefield. They are eventually defeated with the weapon created by the doctor and Liz Shaw and spearhead from space. Oh the my auton, gosh. Yeah. The auton Winslet then liquefies and escapes through a ventilation shaft leading to auton two sentinel oh, two years my. after the warehouse incident. Uh, 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 Lori transporting autons from the warehouse to another unit facility is hijacked by its own cargo. Meanwhile, psychic unit operative Lockwood <laughs> is, tr is Whoa, troubled. Is troubled by extremely active dreams. Unit learns that the transfer of the autons was authorized by Lockwood. When he later remembers signing the transportation docket, it becomes evident that the nesting consciousness is using Lockwood's psychic abilities to their own ends. Unit's internal security division launches an investigation on Lockwood, pairing him with, get ready, another psychic operative <laughs> named Natasha Alexander. Uh, while Lockwood's abilities are owed to an alien implant, what? Natasha claims what? to have been psychic since birth. What? <laughs> yes. Uh, this leads to a whole cult thing at a church. Uh, where the combined mental energy of the church's congregation awakens a nesting creature buried beneath the church. And uh, it's basically Lockwood and Natasha, psychic unit soldiers versus crazy religious Auton people. What? Uh, these, are yeah. these are films? Yes, these are films. Which oh leads God. to Auton 3. Lockwood and Natasha have returned. <laughs> Uh, from okay. the of events course. of the second film, <laughs> sure, and uh, kind where... of a kind of a golden compass, subtle knife, amber spyglass. <laughs> <of thing>. Yes, 
Um, computers around the world are failing. They are being invaded by the nesting consciousness through Lockwood's implant. Because remember, one of his abilities is the right. ability to control any computer with <laughs> his mind. Uh, meanwhile, the entire population of a town called Millhampton has disappeared. They have been absorbed into the mind of another revived nesting below the city. Jesus. The only survivor is the real Winslet, the guy from the first movie, who is still being used by the nestings at a local psychiatric hospital. This is Asylum of the Autons, is what this, ep this movie is. Uh, Lockwood and Natasha are both being used by, are you ready? Another psychic unit operative named Palmer. Wow. Uh, to lead them to the heart of the nesting activity. So they Pal just get a new one every movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Palmer monitors their movements through a constant link with Natasha's mind. So, so Palmer is linked to Natasha. The nesting are linked to Lockwood. Oh, man. So Natasha uses the nestings to lure Lockwood to the hospital which the Autons are using as the center of their operation. Uh, a fight breaks out, and then uh, uh, Dr. Arnold arrives and is uh, forced to sacrifice himself to uh, destroy the nestings. Oh, my um, God. These, by, by the way, wow. listeners, these Auton, I'm now looking at it on the internet, they are properly scary. Yeah. They look yep. very creepy. Yeah, they are pretty creepy. Yeah, the films came out in 1997, 1998, and 1999, respectively. Wow. Yeah. Man. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I just have to mention that this is impressive enough, which, by the way, Lockwood was supposed to be uh, uh, Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart, but at the last minute, uh, <laughs> at the last minute, Nicholas Courtney couldn't be there. <laughs> Yay. I assume he read the script uh, is probably what happened. Um, but uh, he claims to have been ill, but I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So Brigadier was replaced with Lockwood in in the script and recast. Um, but uh, this this company. I was like, I was impressed enough that they made three Auton films. They also made a film which I didn't read too much about, but they also read a film or made a film that is called Zygon colon when being you just isn't enough oh my god <laughs> there has to be like a video essay about these people there must be somewhere let me get on uh, let me get on the internet and the I zygon, the zygon film was just made in 2008 only 10 years ago hmm. that that's fascinating yeah is there I a know. master one no oh no i don't I don't they think seem to they be would interested in the, in, the, in the creatures. Yeah, it seems that way. Uh, I uh, so I'm going to say this. Uh, we currently we have a we have a thing where we're like we're we're uh, on our on our Patreon. We have like a Patreon goal of uh, five hundred dollars a month, and we'll we'll start like a Patreon Doctor's Companion bonus thing where we're going to talk about the uh the uh <laughs> the doctor uh, and the daleks yeah doctor and the daleks uh 5 minutes at a time mm. i would go so far as to say that we could turn that into like a whole thing where we just look at these weird <laughs> spin off sure, things like 5 minutes at a time doctor who stuff yeah yeah and we do it like 5 minutes at a time you know and just really just talk about it cuz they're they're insane like 5 or 10 minutes at a time something like that you know yeah 
um, and just look at all of this stuff because uh, it's just so weird. <laughs> and I, I, I just, I, I want to, I want to know, I want to see it all. Uh, but I want to have fun while I'm watching it. Like, I don't want it to feel like homework, mm-hmm. which is why, like, 10 minutes at a time feels about right. Um, thankfully, oh, the Auton movies are only an hour each one. Oh, wow. That's even weirder. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's probably... I it makes sense. I mean, you know yeah. what? If you're a Roger Corman-style yeah. filmmaker, why take your ridiculously small budget and turn it into a two-hour movie when you can make it one hour and get twice your bang for your buck? Yeah, yeah that's true. I mean, it totally makes sense to me. Uh, yeah, by the time the third one came out, the third Autumn movie, I think Nicholas Briggs stepped away because I think he got his job at Big Finish. Yeah, I was going to ask and, like when he started writing for Big Finish and everything. Yeah, I bet that's about when it was. He's like, I can't be associated with these anymore. <laughs> I'm actually writing Doctor Who. Uh, the only Doctor Who that exists right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Oh, my God. Um, so Autumn trilogy. That's a thing. Get on it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So those are the, the kinds of things we would cover if we uh, hit our Patreon <laughs> goal. So, you know. This is just some of this ma- of the content you would be getting, guys. <laughs> yeah. So if you're not a Patreon subscriber yet, uh, I would uh, hop on it because uh, it sounds insane. And I would love to, to talk about how these, these wacky, uh, you know, off-kilter uh, spinoff things are. <laughs> um, but uh, on a more official note, um, yeah, we did get the uh, we get the logo for the new show. I don't know what there is to talk about other than like it looks amazing and I can't wait. Mm. Uh, but that's really all I got. I mean, it just looks great. Um, I like the I like the return of the gold colors. Yeah, yeah. It, it, re- it really takes me back to like an 05, 06 kind of place. Yeah, Kaz and I were talking that the logo reminds us of, the, of another logo but we're not sure yeah, what that logo is i can't is. place it at all and it's bothering me it in a good way it, it it reminds me of the font of like a book series i would read at like book fairs like a fantasy yeah series. just like sure i i but we we both are recognizing something very specific and we're just not sure what it is Maybe um, dinotopia <laughs> it might be like one of those young adults why like dystopic mm-hmm. font things yeah. but listen listeners if you if you kind of if you can kind of channel what we're trying to figure out let us know yeah that's what i was uh that was that's yeah that's why i mentioned yeah. it because i was hoping that somebody else would be able to figure that out i so want I that promo image of her silhouette with the um sun and the tardis as mm-hmm. like a giant poster in my living room like it's so pretty hell yeah oh it's gorgeous and her uh, her uh, silhouette is just so instantly iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just his boots and her hair. Yeah, like I was just looking at that, and I just thought, man, there's going to be so many T-shirts, like so many off-brand T-shirts of uh, using her silhouette yeah. and stuff. Um, there was an image of um, there was an image of her at a uh, like a like a fan art show. Of just her doctor, um, like she, like the actress, she like went there, um, and Whitaker, she was at the, she was at this like art show of fan art, and it was all mm-hmm. just like fan art of of her doctor, Aww. and that's crazy, that's awesome. yeah, 
And I was just like looking at all of the art and I was just like, man, like, I don't know that any doctor fits sort of like a, like a cartooning style more than her doctor. Like she just looks like a living cartoon character and I love it. In like the best possible way. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, like there is, it's, it's very easy. You know that it's a good character design because it's very easy to simplify. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and like that just shows you how iconic it is just instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, looks really good. Uh, so anyway, excited for a trailer. If there is a trailer, uh, we'll probably just like record like a special episode or something and put that out on the feed somewhere. Um, whenever a trailer comes in rather than doing it on one of these episodes, I would assume. Mm. Uh, just cause you know, we're already, we're like dating the hell out of this episode already. Yeah. Just by talking about this. Oh, well, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're I know excited. that no one listening to this cares. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's all we got. Uh, next, next week is, uh, Revenge of the Cybermen. Um, uh, which is, yeah. you know, it is what it is. Yeah. It is what it is. Uh, it's. You get to talk about haunted boats. Not the worst. It's not the worst Cybermen episode. No. No. <laughs> it's far from the best. Uh, but it's whatever. It is what it is. Um, so for is Doctor. Is. <laughs> Can that be what the episode is called? <laughs> oh, we don't, we don't name these. Yeah. We don't name these. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> Revenge of the Cybermen. It's the, I think it's the one and only time the fourth Doctor goes up against the Cybermen, right? Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The one and only time. So something. That is certainly something. Uh, DuelingGenre.com slash support. Go check that out. And we'll be back next week with Revenge of the Cybermen. 